Welcome to the True Voice Podcast with your host, LaShawn Smith. Hey, welcome to True Voice, where we learn more about today through stories from amazing people. This is season two. I'm your host, LaShawn Smith, and here on True Voice, we talk with people who have remarkable stories that entertain, teach, and offer a human perspective on how today's most pressing topics remain deeply connected to our past. I hope you enjoy today's episode and look forward to you joining us each week. Today, I'm joined by Tara Simmons. Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, we're going to get into this conversation where you've recently completed a 100-mile run from Albany to Beacon, New York. Yes. I mean, that's amazing. All right. So before we get into that, I always like to start off earlier in your journey. So tell me a bit more about where you were born and raised and what your early childhood was like. So I was born and raised in Beacon, New York, which is an hour from New York City, north. And it's a small hometown about five mile radius, I think a little bit less than that, all the way around. So I was born and raised here and I left for a little while for like a year of college and then came back and this is my home. It's always been my home and it's also always been my family's home. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, when you say five mile radius, what's the ballpark population? Oh, I should know, I don't know. (laughs) It definitely has changed more more recently because now it's become a place where people come in. There's a lot of tourists now. So, and there's a lot of people who have moved up from the city. So the numbers have definitely changed, but I, I don't know. I'll be lying if I gave you an estimate. (laughs) All good. All good. But, but it's definitely home. So, you know, we're going to talk about this run that you did, but, you know, tell me where you kind of discovered sports athletics, kind of where did that show up early in your life? So um, we've always played sports. My family have always played sports. My mom played softball and my dad played football and baseball. So it's just always been part of what we did for fun. So, and I joined the varsity track team in seventh grade. So it's just something that's always been something I did after school. Yeah. Was it almost like, I mean, when you talk about it, you know, kind of as a family affair, um, it's almost becomes like a form of entertainment as well. Do you think that is the case uh, for your experience? Yes, and we're very competitive. So it's kind of the thing that we do for pastime and also, you know, helps during family gatherings that have those memories to go back to and challenge one another. Sure. Now, at seventh grade, when you started to get serious, is that common at seventh grade that folks are like, I'm going to run? So I would say that I don't think I've ever been serious as opposed to like someone says, oh, you're good at this and okay, I'll give it a try. I wasn't ever like very intentional and disciplined as I am now, does that make sense? I was very much a kid and I went wherever the adults told us to go and I, you know, I show up and give you my best in that moment, but it wasn't very, like I have a son who um, does wrestling. He's very disciplined and he's very driven. I was not like that when I did sports growing up. It was more of like, how do we have fun and, you know, how do we help the team win whatever team you're on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a journey, right? So you get exposed to this early on and then over time, you really kind of find your level of commitment. Tell me about college. You know, what was your your college experience like? So I went to North Carolina A&T my first year because I just thought I didn't want to be at home. It's always been my small hometown. It's like, I, you know, as a kid, it's like, uh, let me get out of here. So I went to North Carolina A&T. I was originally studying chemical engineering. And when I showed up there, they needed tennis players. And I had happened to learn how to play tennis in high school. So I was like, oh, they need players. 
and they feed you, sign me up. So there I played Division One tennis for a year. So and then I came back home and I ended up playing basketball at a community college. Then I went to Mount St. Mary's where I ended up getting my four year um, undergrad degree and I played tennis for Mount St. Mary's. Cool. So, so keeping that thread going with the the activities. Now, I know for for some high schools and colleges, there's kind of this triangle of uh, kind of critical thinking. Sometimes it's woven into you know math or, or technology. There is the arts and being creative, and then there is you know some type of athletic activity and kind of the the collective. You know, hopefully helps you be a more you know full and complete person. Did you find yourself kind of balancing those three or you know, where you like, and I'm all in on the athletics, but I'm letting one of the other ones slip. Um, I would say that I wasn't ever all in in any of the things. I would show up and just make the most of the moment. I'm usually, you know, there and everyone has one intention and I'm usually the last one to know the team intention. <laughs> so I'm usually there in just good spirits and just trying to be a good team player. Is usually how I showed up in either in the classroom or even on the whatever field that we're on or court that we're on. I show up with like the best intentions and best spirit, but not very in the same long term goal that everyone is. I'm very much like in the moment. Right. I love that, though. That That's uh, you know, we, we need to, I think, collectively take more advantage of, of the moment. Now, while you're in college or around that time, uh, you have your first child. Tell me how that you know shifted or changed any of your priorities and focus. So the very first thing that shifted or changed was when I found out I was pregnant, I changed. I realized chemical engineering, their schedule just wouldn't be the best for a child's schedule. So I shifted over to teaching. So I went from chemical engineering to becoming a math teacher because all the because it was either going to be a science teacher or a math teacher. So the credits would transfer and I wouldn't lose anything. So I ended up landing on becoming a math teacher. So my firstborn definitely redirected and shifted my direction and gave me intention to become a teacher. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's the professional angle. Was there anything personally or just kind of like, you know, how you, your relationship with yourself that you learned something more about yourself or anything else that kind of evolved, you know, once you started having children? Well, absolutely. My oldest, she definitely shifted me for um, my career direction and also spiritually because I was raised Roman Catholic. I did. I got baptized. I did my first communion, my confirmation and all that stuff. So when I had my daughter, I went to go get her baptized because that's what they tell you you need to do. That's the order. And I opened in conversation in that process, which then made me step back as a parent and reevaluate what my real beliefs are and where do I actually fall and what do I want um, for my children. So it definitely shifted and opened where I fall spiritually also. Got it. Now, when you had your son, if I understand the story correctly, so correct me if I, if I don't have it right. After that, you wanted to do, you know, the bounce back, as they say. <laughs> and so you started running. What was it just natural that running was the thing you gravitated toward? So, well, it was definitely a kickstart it because the whole saying is like, if you don't lose that baby weight within the year, you're going to keep it. So after I had my son, I knew, and, and also like a lot for me, it was, we're, we don't come from money. So a lot of it was just like survival mode in a lot of things, a problem arises or a challenge arise. And it's like, okay, how do you land on your feet? How do you make this work? So I think a lot of the reasons why I wasn't looking down the line, is like, I just need to survive for the next day. 
So after having my daughter and changing my career, I also stopped doing the physical part, like going, playing tennis for a little bit. And then I definitely played tennis with my daughter. And then my son, during that time, after I had my son, I went into student teaching and running just fell on my lap. They needed volunteers. Again, whenever there's a need, it just kind of, I feel like the universe has always came to me in a way of how I could help others. So after having uh, my son, running came along because during student teaching, there was this marathon project where we would mentor kids through a half marathon or a full marathon. So that's how I was like, well, I definitely need to lose this weight. And then this is it. And I can help others. So it was just like a win-win all the way around. So that's where running came back, we'll say. Yeah, I get that. So tell me the story about you show up to your mentoring gig on two hours of sleep. And you got to like, you know, it, it's it's tiring. How do you find, one, the motivation to just like show up with the right attitude? I mean, you're also trying to be an example for these kids. And how, if any, did that shape, like you, you saying like, no, I'm going to commit. I'm going to focus on this is going to be my thing. Okay. So when the marathon project started, I definitely signed up and was like, hey, I can definitely help kids through a half marathon. So I was showing up to the training sessions to, you know, cheerlead kids through a half marathon. So I trained for a half marathon. The most I've ever ran at that point was a half marathon. So when I showed up to do the half marathon with the children, my daughter had a dance recital that night before. So I ended up having to drive to Philly after her dance recital. And when I got in the town, I only had two hours of sleep before we had to get up and get started. So downstairs, while we're having breakfast to get ready, someone comes over to me and they asked me if I would switch with and mentor the kids through the full marathon because the, the lady had found out she was pregnant and the doctor only signed off for her to do a half and they needed enough volunteers in both runs. And it, I was like, I always feel like if it's brought to me, then clearly, you know, God or the universe, whatever you say, the universe thinks I can do it. So they'll help me through it. So I was like, sure, if that's what you need. I will find a way. So that's how that got presented. And I joined in, I did my best. And before I knew it, I was a mile from finishing a full marathon. And I really broke down emotionally. Like I could, like, it was almost like the universe was trying to show me what we are as humans, what we're capable when we, we really connect and let go and just be present. Right. I mean, is that something that, you know, from sports overall that you've taken or is there something unique in running that kind of helped you find that, you know, awareness? It's definitely um, unique with running because when I'm running, I feel more connected to the earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> to my surroundings. I, I find myself very like I fall into gratitude, especially I don't know if it's from Beacon, just being in Beacon. I can look up the mountains. I can be on a mountain during a run and within a couple of miles, I can be right next to the river. And it's just, there's so much here and there's so much that I'm just so grateful for, especially when I'm in, when I'm running, it, running causes me to be just right here in the present moment. And I just, just time and time again, even during a, a hard, hard run, I find myself just being grateful to be able to. Mm, yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And then just your personal approach, are you, you know, everything's clear in your head. Are you thinking about things? Are you listening to music? Like what's the energy and what what's the environment you're creating for yourself when you're running? So every run's different. 
So it really just depends on what's going on. Sometimes I start off with music because I feel like I need the music. But before I know it, sometimes I'm off and I'm just talking to the birds, the trees. My my family kind of make fun of me sometimes because I'm like, you know what the bird said to me today? And they're like, oh my gosh, the bird did not talk to you. But it's like, I don't mean audible, but like, I feel like there's an energy and we have like a moment or whatnot. It definitely is different all the time. I can't say that I've ever had one run just like the one before. Yeah, they're all different. No, that's magic. Uh, back to your children. So have you found that, you know, with, with each child, it's created a kind of a mental space that you've had to either, you know, be inspired or challenged by where, you know, coming back to running or, or whatever physical activity has helped you kind of uh, get to your next stage of, of evolution? So with each of my kids, I call them my master teachers. I feel that with each one of my children, they've come here to help me heal something that will also heal others. They definitely trigger wounds or things in me that haven't quite been been healed. So with my daughter, I said that she she helped me become a teacher and and open me spiritually. My son definitely has come to um, show me how to be disciplined. And then I have a third child that when she came, she gave me the strength that I needed to really go all in. I think up to that point, I very much, Yala Van Zant says this, um, we play not to lose. So I was playing like to not lose. Whereas my youngest really showed up and was like, we're here to win, like go all in. My youngest is always modeling or showing me about going all in and really doing the most that we can do with the time that we have. That's great. When you when you find your moments, I want to talk about a few things. First, you know, as as a mother, like we hear always the conversation of how busy we all are. I think uh, for some, the pandemic has helped people kind of reprioritize some of their time. But but regardless of how people tackle it, had you ever had a challenge of like finding time to make the run, or were you always uh, pretty good once you committed to saying like, look, I got to protect this time. I'm gonna go do this on a schedule. Like like, how did you make sure that you made time for this? So for I don't know when it started. Oh, so I'll take you back a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. So in 2015, I had trained to do, so I'll take you back a little further than that. Sorry. So I had that first marathon run and the following year I did another marathon because now Mm -hmm. I'm a marathon runner. And after I did the two, I looked at my sister and I was like, I want to do a marathon. And the second one I had, I was pregnant with my third. I had found out like a week a couple of weeks later, I was like, ah, I think we might be having another one. So when I did my second one, I was actually pregnant with my youngest. So after it was all said and done, after that run, I was like, I really want to do marathon one for each of my kids. So before I turned 30, that's what the saying was. So after having my youngest, who I told you was my strength, I actually had a mental, a mental break. So that's why I said she's my strength. I had a mental break. And I fought for my life and she really helped me really see like the strength that I have as a person that I didn't realize I had. So I had a lot of the things going on, but I had said out loud during dinner one night, I want to do one for each of the kids. So two months before I was turning 30, my sister like, remember you said you want to do a third marathon on one for each of the kids. I'm like, yeah, but there's only two months. So we ended up doing Disney So it was like a couple weeks before I turned 30, I did Disney. So I did my three marathons for one for each of my kids before the age of 30. And then it was like, 
we always tend to, and I, and my mom really, she is the type of woman that did everything for her kids. Like she found her, her, her world were her kids, her meaning was her kids. And I found that when we do that as parents, sometimes we empty the cup and we don't always show up in our best, with our best intentions because we're tired or, we're, you know, we're just on an empty cup. So mm-hmm. watching what my mom did and knowing like she, her intention was to be there and help us and do what she can. But if you don't take care of yourself first, you don't show up as your best self. Therefore, you can't give from your best self. So seeing my mom like that, I had learned that I had to fill up my cup first. So with the whole three marathons, one for each of my kids, I was doing a lot of things that I had seen my mom do. I was doing for my kids. And then someone, someone had said, well, are you going to do one for yourself? And then that's when it, like the two things came together, like the thing that I learned from my mom. And I was like, you know what? I do have to remember me because my kids are watching me so if i don't make me they don't see that so i had and those three marathons that i did i didn't really do a training plan i kind of just like god i got me through the first one he'll get me through the second one like it was very not intentional so i found a nike plan and i did half of the training for new york because i was like if god wants me to do one for me then i'll get in with this raffle i put my name in one time bam i got in i was like oh god wants me to do it so i set up a plan i was like all right i'm not going to just do it i'm going to set up a plan i'm going to show my kids you know i'm going to you know pour into me so they will pour into themselves like i wanted to model what i wanted for them so i do half of the training i don't even do the full training and i laugh because i'm like why did you give it your all but i went from nothing to half so that's not bad progress progress, right so and I end up cutting 40 minutes off my time. Wow. Right. Adults, other people was like, wow. I said, wow. My kids are like, so what? You're a runner. <laughs> like, it was just like, well, that's what you do. I realized that, oh my gosh, to show them how you go from nothing to something, they have to see me do something they haven't seen me do before. So I went into doing half Ironmans. They hadn't seen me swim. I still don't know how to tread water. I hadn't ridden a bike in years, but they knew I could run. So I signed up for a half Ironman and the kids watched me go to swim practices in the morning. And that was another thing is I filled up my cup before my kids woke up. Hmm. Oh, that really run. So I, so what yeah, that's I, a t-shirt. Find, <laughs> I know. So um, that's where I found the time. Cause I didn't want to take from our time, me and the kids to do this thing. So I would just do it while they were sleeping. And also mm-hmm. I realized as a person, I didn't like when they woke me up. <laughs> like I just, it wasn't my best stuff when they woke me up. And then when I started waking up and scheduling my stuff while they were sleeping, I loved waking them up and they did not like it. So it was just like such a right. great flip that it worked for everybody in the equation, you know? So I did the Ironman was in cause me to be a morning person because I did have to put in more training. I had to be more intentional. I had to learn how to fuel better. And all these things were just, they were just showing up. That's why this whole thing that I ran the hundred miles, it was like during these runs, during the training, it was like the unit was talking to me and I could see like, oh my gosh, you knew all along. Like I could see how in seventh grade, then connected to me doing the marathon project, which then connected me to my kids saying, mom, so what you're a runner, which made me get into the half Ironmans. And it all this was just a beautiful musical or a, a symphony that was just so magically just put together and as I wasn't aware, a bigger power was aware. Right, right, right. It's all being orchestrated. Yeah. 
And that's all I see. And that's all I was seeing during the training. Like even on the rough days, like, no, there's a bigger thing happening here for the greater good. This is not even about me. Like everything that I'm going through, the things that I, I'm sharing with people is so small because we are connecting so much to one another. So it really, I was able to see during this training that it was so much more than surface what was going on. Yeah. So it gave like so much more meaning, even like days when I didn't run, it was very, I could dedicate my run to somebody else, dedicate, especially with people going through Corona, I could dedicate it to someone who would love to be able to, that's not able to, I like, was just being hmm. so grateful to be able to. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's super, um, super cool. Now I, I want to come back to some of the, the kind of the energy and the, the kind of the mental state around all of this, because that's inspiring to other people. But I wanted to take a quick detour and just get some basic understanding of some things that are so obvious to you. When we talk half marathon, marathon, Ironman, I don't know why it's not the Iron Women, but uh, the triathlon, <laughs> break down to me how these are related and how they progress. I mean, I, I understand the basics of, you know, you're talking about the three different types of activities in an Ironman, but, but like, you know, is there a progression that people tend to go to, or is it just like these, you know, folks like yourself are kind of gravitating to, to these just because they're, you know, kind of testing, you know, similar parts of, of yourself. But, but when we hear all these words, like give me a framework on how to think about a marathon an Ironman, a triathlon, you know, maybe some of these are more similar than I understand. I think so. Just break down what each of them are and how they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them. So when I hear so, like thirteen point one miles, like you know, just like how long are these things? How long do people have to prepare? Which are the hard ones versus like you know, most people wouldn't start with the such and such because oh my goodness, you got to be really in shape for that. Just like <laughs> give me the basic education. All right, so they so usually you start with one of the shorter type things. So like with running. I started with a 5K, like in when I was running cross country, it was a 5K, which is 3.1 miles. So that's usually, you know, like a beginning of long distance. Then I'm trying to like jump. So then would be like after that would be a half marathon, which is well, there's many distances in between a half marathon. There's a 10K. You, know, you got to give me like talk to me like an elementary school child. So you can you can jump from slice to slice. I, I don't need all this, the the steps in the way, but this is still helpful. Okay, so a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, and that's, you know, you run that, and that's usually like the beginning long distance. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing that comes after that would be a 10K, which is 6.2 miles. And then most people go from there, they would do a half marathon. So usually people start from the low distance and work their way up to a high distance. So 10K and then a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. And after the half marathon, people then work towards a full marathon, which is 26.2 miles. And those workouts or those training sessions for like a half or a full, people usually take 16 weeks is like uh, what I, I did a training for typically. Whereas I, um, like I said, I showed up for the marathon and had it ran more than a half marathon. But usually you build those little things in before the big day. So How many uh, days a week are you are you practicing in, over those sixteen weeks? Typically, so, typically it's three to four days, but depending on your your mileage. So depending on how many miles you're going to be put in, I would say if you're training for a marathon, anywhere between twenty and thirty five miles a week. But they they you build like you increase your miles, and then you do like a recovery. So you'll go down a little bit, and then you build your mileage for three weeks and then you recover for a week or two weeks. Got so, it. 
Yeah, so it's like a lot of muscle memory. You try to get to like your max and then you bring it back down and then you add on to it is usually how the running plans come together. And throughout the week, you have a couple short ones. You have a couple of speed days where you try to push your pace a little bit. And then for me on the weekends where there was uh, more time, I would do the longer runs. Mm-hmm. Typically when you get ready for like a, a marathon per se, you would have like one day where you run long. And then a gotcha. couple shorter runs throughout the week. Cool. All right. And then, and I, I'm not asking you to speak for all runners, but right. for yourself at least, what's the ratio between how much of the preparation is mental versus kind of just physical readiness? I, I mean, I'm not going to speak for all runners. However, I, I, I personally feel like it's 90% mental and 10% mental. Like I think it's all, it's all <laughs> in the head. Like. Whatever you tell yourself, that's what you're going to do. Right. I, I mean, that, that. that's like, what's so powerful about this. Yeah. 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 Especially absolutely. now. I tell you, last year when I had friends training for 100 miles, I was like, they're crazy. <laughs> like, I was like, they're crazy. There's no way. I don't know how a body can do that. Like, I, I couldn't even wrap my own head around it just a year ago. And then just fast forward here, holy moly, not only is it a whole year later, but I actually did it. Yeah. With this body, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, but it's all about mental. I, I want to get into kind of preparation for that, for that run, but what's your personal preference? You mentioned the, the, the Nike plan. What shoes will you not run in or always run in? Shoes? Yeah. Um, yeah. Shoes. I, I actually don't run in Nike. Actually. I use Nike's apps. Like their apps are great for information. They're all about training the athlete and having an educated athlete out there. I actually don't ever run in Nike sneakers. I'm usually New Balance, sometimes Asics. I used to be Brooks for a while, but I didn't run with Brooks this um, for this event. And Menudo's are they're new to me. I just started running in those. So, but it's I gotta tell you, I've been in Hulkas. I've been on all of them. It's almost like whatever the spirit is feeling, that's what I go for. I'm sure maybe next year I might be in Nikes, but um, I don't ever just. I'm very inclusive with everything, with the people <laughs> I'm with, with what I wear. It's all about what, what, what the body's asking for or what it's calling for in the moment. I don't yeah. exclude. So is all. it a performance thing? And I know, you know, some people over index on kind of the gear and the equipment, but you know, is it like, I just like the way those look, or is it like, I heard these have the new <laughs> such and such soul and they're going to, you know, not hurt my feet. Like, like how do you make the decision when you're ready to switch it up and, and try something new? So I drive them crazy at the uh, running store. I go to Fleet Fleet right now and I drive them crazy because I walk in. I was like, I know you're going to tell me color doesn't matter. And color is like, if you're running, color should not be. But the first thing I'm like, I hear that you're going to say that, but I like to coordinate. I like everything to match. I like, but so (laughs) I do desire bright colors, but they're usually not there. So I, I, at the end of the day, I have to settle for comfort. You know, but I always Got request it. it. I try to put it out in the atmosphere. I'm hoping for more brightly colored shoes. I mean, I'm going to keep requesting it, but at the end of the day, it, it, it's comfort because these are the feet that I have and I have got to love them and take care of them because they're only set I'm going to have. <laughs> I hear that. Now, now let's get on to this, uh, this hundred mile run. First, how common is it that someone even, you know, even attempts this? And uh, what was the impetus for you to say, you know, I'm going to make a go of this? Now, that's something I probably should know, but I honestly don't know how many people actually do 100 miles. 
I know that I originally, because I'm on this thing called, it's a, it's called Beacon Endurance in my town. And it's a bunch of people who are into staying active. You could be a biker, a swimmer, a runner. You may just want to work, do workouts. Like if you're active, it's, it's a community that we embrace that. And then there's a channel where you can see what people are doing and you don't have to do it alone, basically. Whatever you're looking to do for the year, like whatever your goal is, you have a team of people that will support you. And if you need help, you can reach out and people will connect with you. And again, I feel very grateful for that. That's the reason why I got through my first half Ironman, because I had a community of people who already had the experience willing to take me underneath their wing and show me how to do it. So I totally forgot the question. There was a reason. We're talking about just how, you know, what was the impetus for you to kind of say, like, I'm going to go do this? I had... Personally, something had came um, had been happening to me for a while. Um, unhealthy relationship. After my mental break, I got out of that unhealthy relationship, and I take full responsibility of being in that relationship because I feel like responsibility is the ability to respond. And how I was responding kept me in that relationship longer than I needed to. So once I got out of that, I still wasn't responding in the way that I needed to to fully protect myself. I didn't even realize rights that I had. So this time last year, exactly on this day, I really got into human rights, finding out human rights, what they were. And I used those human rights to help start protecting myself and speaking up for myself. And within a month after learning my human rights, that's when someone spoke to me about running across country. So I'm like, that's crazy. Why would people do that? And then when I looked it up, I realized people did it to spread a message and that just tied into human rights. And I felt like the universe was talking to me. So I was like, oh my gosh, I, my son saw me as I was researching and Googling it. I start weeping and my son just looked at me. He's like, mom, when are we going to start to prepare for you to run cross country to spread this message? Because the second I realized these rights helped me, I instantly wanted to help others. So then the cross country started talking, spread the message. And then I started speaking to my community of runners and thinking, like, is it possible? Do you think I could run cross country? And so I broke down the numbers that I had been messing with. And as I talked about it, they're like, all right, I think this is a possibility. The way you break it down, it's a possibility. And I shared it with my sister. She was like, well, if you're going to break it down, let's really break it down and bring people along on this journey. Because we live in a world where everything's like you see the end result. You don't see the work that leads up to it. And I think that's another thing that our younger generation struggles with. They see the end result, but they don't see the work and the discipline that makes that possible. So my sister's like, how do we bring them along? So then we started breaking this thing down to bite size. We went from country, coast, do the state, how about the region? And that's where we got down to 100 Mile will be the first event to spread this message. So when you were like this and down to 100, it seems right. like, all right, the 100 is going to be real possible when we're thinking the big, big picture. And once I spoke to it, I got to be honest, no one said you can't do this. I think the only barrier I came up against was my own self-doubt. Because the community around me, everybody around me was in full support. Right. I mean, I think that's interesting you call that out because in a lot of our journeys, sometimes we we like to um, use this reference where it's like, oh, all these haters, all these people. <laughs> and and sometimes the hater is ourself, 
right? And uh, it manifests in fear, it manifests in anxiety and stress, you know, doubt, like all these things. And it's great that you had the right supportive system. Not everybody has that. But to your point, many times it seems like the one holding us back, you know, the antagonist is ourself. And uh, it's great that you kind of recognize that. Yeah. And, and a lot of them were reminding me, and I think what we tend to do, you know, as humans, that we forget the evidence or the experience that we've already surpassed. And mm-hmm. I think my community were kept reminding me, well, you, you did the marathon when you weren't ready. You did the, um, the half Ironman, you know, like the fact that you're doubting yourself is surprising us because you've always shown up. And when you put your mind yeah. to it, you've always been able to. So, and they kept mm-hmm. reminding me, which I think a lot of us, we do that. We tend to forget everything that we've actually have been able to get to, you know, yeah. why not try for another, something a little bit higher. Yeah. No, the, again, I love you the don't journey. have to do it alone. Another thing is like, I didn't, I didn't do it alone. I constantly right. asked for others. And the more and more I asked for others feedback and help, it just made it even more doable. Yeah. Walk me through, or maybe run me through would be more apropos, <laughs> the um, like the mental state. You've gone through all of this training for your 100 mile, and like you're you know, ready or not, you know, this is the day. Like, how do you wake up in the morning? Like, like walk me through like what's going on in your head. What are you seeing? Like, like you know, put us in the moment. Okay, so I'm just going to back you up just a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. So originally, I was going for my fastest marathon for April. Because I said to my son one time during a conversation, I want to do a marathon in under four hours. So he's always been reminding me, when are you going to do that? When are you going to do that? So I was originally really training for that in November. I started training for the April run. Then COVID happened. So the shutdown happened. And that's when it was like the universe talking to me, now I need you to work towards that thing that I already, that seed I planted in November. Let's spread the message right now. You get to work. So I was like, there's a self-doubt came up. I was like, I don't know if a body can really run consecutive days without stopping. So I gave myself a 21 day challenge and it was like, let's see if you can just run for 21 days. And my whole thing is I don't like to do anything if it's not with joy. Um, I'm very intentional on that. So it was like, okay. So I didn't put a number on what I would do each day, but each day for 21 days, I had to get out there and do something. So 21 days I went out there and there, you know, my heels were hurt and there, there was pain, but it was like, the intention kept me going. So I was like, okay, right. get out there. And some days I go out and do 16 miles. Some days I go out and only do four miles. And da, 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 da. at the end of 21 days, I had covered 210 miles, which had hmm. been the most I had ever covered in a month ever. And, wow. um, and at that point, it was really, I doubled what I have ever done. The most I had ever run at that time was maybe a little over a hundred miles in a month. So right there was like putting those little nuggets of what we're capable of when we just put in the work. So then I built the plan. The plan was a 25 week plan. Went through the 25 weeks. Some of the weekends were back to back long runs where you run 30 miles on Saturday, run 20 miles on Sunday, like literally back to back, which previously after you run a marathon, you're off for a whole week or off for two whole weeks. Whereas now I'm able to run more than a marathon and then turn around and run almost a marathon the very next day. So during the training, I was doing things like that, just teaching my body what I'm able to do along learning how to fuel the body and make sure I had everything I needed. And there was good days, there were bad days, there were hot days, there were don't do that again type of days. 
there were days where my mind would get in the way and I was like, oh, I think my leg hurts. I think, you know, so I would go to PT and it, it was, I think it was my head. I don't know if it was real pain or also listening to the body and sitting down for three days without getting, you know, letting fear, like fear has many names. I could say being anxious or concerned that this is going to set me back. I had to just trust the body and trust, you know, after healing or after resting that I would be come back even stronger. So now fast forward, we are two weeks from race day and I have like a pinch when is this? Give me the, the time window. The it's uh, September, I don't know, September 17th. I, um, going for a regular PT, just, just being super intentional and making sure I'm not doing anything silly. I'm building these muscles and, um, I leave PT and I get a pinched nerve. I can't walk. I couldn't walk mm. for 48 hours. Could not walk. I went to work, walked down, went home. Like every step was excruciating pain. Like <laughs> I had long compression socks on with sneakers and a dress because I teach. I look straight crazy. I can barely like <laughs> take a step like it was inching like i people who have chronic pain i have so much compassion after going through that two days experience i couldn't sleep i was icing i couldn't situate where there was alleviating the pain like it was just chronic pain and at the same time i know less than two weeks i have to run 100 miles and i don't know what's going on so it was definitely a mental build where i was just like just keeping in faith trusting you know praying for the pain to go away and, and just trusting that everything is happening for the good for my good for every good there's a reason why i'm not able to run this last long run before the big run you know and not let that turn into anything other than the good like lord take the pain or tell me why i'm going through this pain like give me the answer you know so that finally goes away and i am coming down from training, which is your mileage just keeps dropping before race day because you want nice, fresh legs. Tapering, I couldn't think of the word. So tapering is when you're coming down in mileage, so then those legs are finally fresh. And I hadn't had fresh legs in 23 weeks. Mm. Like every day, you're, okay. you feel it. Like there's not, the running doesn't eventually get easier. And then another thing I'll say is, someone's like, at least you found something you love doing. I don't love running long distance. I don't think anybody does. Long distance, is uh, a challenge. Mm -hmm. However, this was a calling and the purpose behind it made it possible. Right. So again, like there is not one day you're not feeling something. After the tapering, I finally had fresh legs for the first time in months. I was like, I was so like, and that was it. Everyone kept saying, how are you feeling? And that was my saying, I'm ready. And I wouldn't give any energy to anything else. I don't even know if I really felt, I just felt a calm and a peace. And in my words, that whole, every time someone asks me is I'm ready. I, I don't know what it is that's telling me I'm ready, but I'm ready. And that's what was my answer for the two days leading up when everybody kept asking me. And then a day of, I wake up and it's unlike any other run. Cause usually you're running super early in the morning or this run didn't start until 3 PM in the afternoon. So you're up. <laughs> Still got all this time before you're actually going to start. So how do you mm -hmm. juggle, like making sure you're resting? And you also know for the first time, I'm not a, I love my sleep. Eight hours of sleep is something my kids make sure I get. So <laughs> after eight o'clock, my kids don't even ask me questions. Like, they're like, you are a critter. 
and we'll talk to you in the morning. So to know that I'm going to be up for over 24 hours and after those 24 hours, I'm going to be in front of people. My kids were a little concerned. <laughs> uh, they were coaching me. <laughs> um, so the I wake up and my marching orders, that's what my sister was saying the whole morning, your marching orders were to sit down and keep your legs up. If you think you need something, tell me and I'll go get it. So again, I have a huge community, my brother and sister and my mom and my dad, like I was my core group that are super supportive, but I also have a community outside of that that's super supportive. And I'm so grateful for that. And my sister just kept saying, because I kept wanting to do, and she was like, sit legs up. So I did a lot of sitting legs up. And whenever something thought, I had family there to help me before I had to start. So it was like, I was just full with a lot of love. So it was really hard to even go down what was about to happen. Cause I was just like, right, great. Right. like, Oh my gosh, you want to do that for me? Thank you. I was just so like, thank you. Thank you. So I was really just in that mindset before it was happening, but there was just, I don't know, this wave of peace. Like I, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Cause some people are like, you're about to go do that. Cause I remember going to the grocery store that before I came to my sister's and they're like, you're about to do that in a couple hours. I'm like, yeah, apparently that's that's what's on the. Hey, why are you at the today. grocery store? You're supposed to be resting your feet. I know. It's like my sister said. My sister said the same thing. She was like, "If you don't come here right now, <laughs> it's really hard to have other people do for you." Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, that level of readiness, self awareness, and uh, and peace is uh, really inspiring. So you get to the day. It's three p.m. You're ready to start. It's not like a regular you know, half marathon or marathon, I'm assuming, because like, th like there's no one else there with you, I'm guessing, right? No. Are you doing this with anybody else? Yes. So, so there's so other I, people who have gone on, like, this is like, this is fascinating. Okay. How many people are there? Is it like, you can you count or, oh, or is no, it like? No, no, no. no. I'm for the most part by my, so I had planned the route. I had planned people to help me throughout the route. Like I did all this planning for months leading up. So heading out for the 100 miles, my brother drives me with his fiance and my son. So the four of us are in the car and we drive the route backwards so they could see everything that I've seen. Because I've done all this, like I've articulated to people, but no one's seen it like I've seen it. No one's been immersed right. in it like I have. So on the way up to the start, we went backwards so I can show my brother the things that I have been uh, talking about. So you're in the car for like 90 minutes on this drive? So we actually end up being in the car way longer than I had planned. I ended up starting later than I had actually planned. I wanted to start at two o'clock. We ended up not starting until 3.30 because there was traffic, <laughs> of mm -hmm. course. So it was like a two hour ride up to Albany from home. Gotcha. Wait, but so when you say, I mean, I get that you have your support system and there are people around you, but is anyone else running the hundred miles on this day? Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. My aunt was like, stop saying we are running. Only you are running. So, yes, I was the only one who did the 100. But in my mind, okay. it was a we thing. Like, it's only. Oh, no, I get it. I, and I love that type of, I mean, that's how you get to, to be able to pull this off if you really think holistically like that. So, so you had this support team. You know, again, you know, you, you have the pictures of people kind of, you know, you know, gunshot goes off at a big marathon. Yeah, um, no, like, where, where are you at? You're just like at a school or something. Where, where do you Where do you start running? So I had a went again. The universe talked to me through this whole thing. So I end up going to the egg in Albany at the egg, and I started at the egg because it symbolizes the birth, hope, life. 
So that was the beginning of this whole initiative that I'm trying to get off the ground and spread um, this whole, the awareness, our choice and how to flip it from, you know, from fear to love along with spreading human rights. So we start at the egg and my brother, we do, we do Facebook live. This is how he started. So we're at yep. the egg. My son's going to do the first three miles with me. And he gets on the Facebook live and he, you know, tells everybody we're here. We're going to be starting. Cause I had already put out this hundred for 100 challenge weeks beforehand, um, spreading human rights and challenging people get in and learn your 30 rights by taking this free course. I would get a hundred people, hundred certifications for a hundred miles. Like, here, I'll do 100 miles. You guys learn your rights, you know? Right. So it's the 100 for 100 challenge. And so my brother gets on there and he's telling me, all right, this is what we've been talking about. She's about to start. And he actually is like my gunshot in a sense that, you know, he goes, here we go. And then me and my son, we take off. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, when you're running 100 miles, how um, how often do you need to stop to just kind of like, you know, just take a break? So I had mapped out. So along with the running, you have to be mindful of making sure you're putting in enough calories and um, salt and carbohydrates and stuff like that to maintain maintain yourself throughout the run. So every five miles, every hour, every hour I needed a specific bottle with my calories in it. So we had two sets of cars out on the road. We had the turtle car, which was full of my family and all my fuel, my change of shoes, clothes, if something didn't, you know, like it was the what if car. I had everything that I need. What if I needed, you know? Mm -hmm. So the turtle car moved every five miles along with me during this journey. Then there was another set of car that eventually shows up at mile 10 full of runners and runners were rotating in and out to get me to the rail trail. And sometimes I would just grab the bottle and just keep going. So it's really, it was my whole training and everything. The way I show up for life is just be in the moment, make the most of the moment, but listen to your body. So the cars were there every five miles. I knew I had that option. Like I really planned and had way more support than I would need, which I'd rather have more than be like, darn, I needed something extra. Right. So there, um, so the turtle car was there every five miles. I got fuel every five miles. If I needed to stop and put my feet up, which I end up doing, I end up stopping two full times to just put my feet up in the air for 10 minutes. That happened twice during the 100 miles. I did a complete clothing change twice during the run. I had just a top change during the night because it dropped to 40 degrees at night. And I just want to make sure I stayed dry because I didn't want a chance getting sick and stuff like that. So um, it really just went according to what was needed. But again, the car was available every five miles if I needed yeah. to. How long did it take you to complete the whole run? Just under 24 hours. Wow. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, it's so inspiring. Once you are, now where do you finish? Because uh, I'm assuming that's uh, maybe symbolic as well. But one, where did you finish? And uh, what what goes through your mind when you are steps away from like, we did it? I'm going to say we the way you're using we. Uh, <laughs> totally we. So I guess. Sorry. The, so the first thing is where did, where did you end? Okay. I ended at the riverfront in Beacon. Okay. And, and is the there anything symbolic to that or, or why'd you pick that location? Well, originally I wanted to end at the top of Mount Beacon. And then people were like, do you think you really want to hike oh, at the, the end of 100 miles? And I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, 
I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that they were questioning it, I was like, maybe that's not the most intelligent thing to do your first time out because you don't know how you're going to feel after 100 miles. And then right. I also kept hearing every time I did the calculations, it kept saying I was going to end at 24 hours. And in the back of my mind, I was like, that's not possible. Like, again, me barrier myself. And the day before the run, the Poughkeepsie Journal put out that I said, and I didn't say it, that I would do, I'm trying to do it under 24 hours. I didn't say it. I thought it was the universe saying, stop rounding down, Tara. Like, it really, mm. so, so that was like, kept that kept coming up. Like, wait, you might do this under what you're thinking. Because I kept saying 27 to 30 hours. That that's what I, because I have a tendency to round down, my sister says. Like, when it comes to my ability, I always go down. And so when that was put out there and I saw that I was getting closer to that, so the riverfront was the ending because the last mile was downhill. And then also the last two miles we had, it was a march. We had the police there to escort us. We had posters of human rights. And I really was spreading the message in my town. We were handing out booklets for human rights. So it was symbolic in the sense that we could go down all of Main Street and end at the river, which, you know, being by water is always a great thing because I always think we're just a cup of the same water. Yep. And also there's a big sign on the ground that says beacon down there. So it was just, it's home. It was really home at that point. Yeah. So, so, so now we can visualize kind of those, those last moments. What's going through your head as your steps away from, from finishing? So originally, I'll take you back a little bit. There was a point where I hit the rail trail and for some reason, someone calculated I wouldn't be in for hours, like six hours, it's six o'clock. They thought I was going to come in at six o'clock and something on the rail trail. Like I just was like, I have to get home. And my pace, my ending pace was just so consistent. I ended up getting home like a whole two hours sooner than they had thought I was. Mm. I was falling into that 24 hour range. And again, the last two miles, we were going to finish together. We were going to march together. We were going to chant together. We were going to finish together the last two miles. So I'm making home. I'm moving faster than most people um, had anticipated. And I get to mile 97 and I have a little twinge in my knee for the first time. The first time I'm experiencing any like twinge. And then again, I think it's my head because, oh my gosh, I'm about to see everybody. And I hit that turn and I see like, Inside, I, I know we are all, we have so much love and I believe in love and I believe love is the answer. And I had been telling people what I was gonna do and here I am about to do exactly what I had described. I described it here, but it was so much more, it was so magical. I hit that turn and I see my family, my friends, and they're all there ready to march with me. And I just, there's just, my sister calls it, we were all drunk for joy or dr drunk in joy. Sure. And it was just that. It was just pure joy and love and harmony. And it was just, it was so magical. I don't even know the word to explain. When I hit mile 98, I'm at the park and I'm just embraced by so much love. It was pretty incredible. And everyone, and I was pretty amazed that I was like, okay. We still got two miles to go. Let's go. <laughs> and <laughs> I look over and I'm like, where's my tutu? They hand me my tutu during the, the um, my rainbow tutu during the um, the march. And we get the chanting. And I'm telling you, I got hit with the Holy Ghost. I couldn't stop screaming. I couldn't stop dancing. Like it was surreal to be like, oh, she's the one who just ran the 100 miles. Because I just 
had so much more energy at the end that I was yeah. I hadn't anticipated because I had no clue what to anticipate. But at the end, with everybody, I think I just kept taking everyone's energy. <laughs> like we were all yeah. connected, and I was just pulling from everybody, and it was just it was amazing. That's super super cool. All right, so you finish. I mean, I'm sure everybody else is like, we did this because now they're really feeling like <laughs> they're clapping. They're like, oh, she did this. OK. Yeah, we did it. What's the you know, for a runner, when you you put this big audacious goal in front of yourself, you go through all of the readiness, you know, at some points that maybe there's some self-doubt you got to fight. There's you know, there, there's some type of, of thing that you get to for you. You get to the clarity when you're ready to start. You have this calm. You go through the whole thing. You get energized at the end when you are uh, kind of wrapping up with your people, and then you're done. Mm -hmm. What, like, you know, it's 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 one of those things. Like, what's in your mind once you're com once it's complete? Is it like what's the emotion that you feel? Well, the emotion that I just felt was I was just so grateful. Mm. Like I was just so grateful to be able to be used to to model that we are so much more than any label that's put on us, any story we, we tell ourselves. Like, I just felt like it really opened me up and I'm hoping that it opened others up to the possibility that we're capable to do so much more than we could imagine if we just let ourselves take the chance. I love it. Before we wrap, I want to get into a couple of resources, but uh, two things. First, uh, a callback to some of these related types of activities, you know, like an Ironman or a tri triathlon. For you as a runner, is it something in running that's just like, no, I just want to keep pushing myself to you know, maybe these longer, longer endurances or longer distances versus, you know, you know, kind of getting out and say, I'm going to do some running and some cycling and some some swimming. Like, like how do you go through the, the decision process uh, on your personal evolution to figure out like what's next for you? So what's next for me is to continue to spread the awareness and promote human rights and, and oneness and love. So. Every day I ask, you know, I always ask the universe, you know, use me. I'm here to be used. What should you have me do? What should you have me say? Who should you have me meet? So I will continue to go with the energy of the universe and and keep challenging myself, you know, in the way that the universe asked me to. The next one will be that's on the docket is Niagara Falls to home. I'm always going to be coming home to Beacon. Um, I think there's a big thing about finding, bring yourself to home. And I will be incorporating the bike this time. So for the first time, I'm going to um, bike a hundred miles. So it'll be a hundred mm. mile bike, a hundred K a day until I get home. So I will continue to challenge myself as long as the universe asks me to. Yeah. The name of the, of your town is, or your city is also apropos, you know, beacon, right? I mean, it is this uh, light that kind of brings you home. As you think about how you are promoting these causes, uh, being an advocate for human rights. To your earlier point, you know, when the 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 mask comes down on the the airplane, you know, they tell the parent to put it on before the child, right? Mm -hmm. You know, personal finance. You got to pay yourself before you pay everybody else, so you don't go broke. You know, you you talked about that lesson that you had to remind yourself to even invest in all of this. Uh, you know, even for yourself, not just for others. I want to talk about just how do you resource all of this? Like, what's the model for you to, you know, financially, how do you make sure it all comes together? Or do you just trust the process and it kind of figures itself out? 
So yes, that it drives everyone crazy around me. I do. I trust the process. I trust in the Lord. He's always provided. I know he'll find a way. And I always like, even with, I did the website. I don't know anything about website. I just trust if I, I don't need to know the how I know the, what I know I'm being used. And I trust that someone will show up to even help me. Like, and I'm open to that. I will start it. And then I just trust that it will show up and work out the way it needs to do. Cause it always does. And I'm that that's just the space that I work from. That's excellent. And it's great. You know, it, it's one of those things to the top of this conversation. Sometimes we just have to kind of realize the person stopping us is us. Right. And if you just keep showing up, we can be, I don't know, just so much more productive and powerful than we give ourselves credit for. As we're wrapping up, uh, tell us about some of the resources or, you know, if there's a website or something, you know, for the, the causes that you're supporting, where can people go find out more information? So the initiative that I'm starting or have started is called Flip It. And you can go to Flip It for Life, number four, dot com, and you'll see the upcoming events. You'll see the workshops and things that I try to provide in my community, because even going back to that, you know, fill up your cup. I really believe, you know, you fill up your cup and what runs over, you give out. And I'm just trying to do my best from my full cup to give as much as I can from giving workshops to um, the youth, to workouts to for adults and continue to spread the message for love and respect for one another. And the Flip It for That's Life, great. what it stands for is turn implied powerlessness into living fearlessly. And I want to inspire others and myself on a daily basis because it's a practice to show up to all situations in a space where that we respond rather than reacting and to be able to, you know, really recognize what's going on and reject fear and replace it with love. And when we do that over and over again, more um, every time we get better at that and we're able to love ourselves and others from a true yeah, I mean world needs so much of that right now. So it's an amazing message. And when you get to your merch, if you don't already have some, I think you you called out two t-shirts that you need. One is 90% mental and 10% mental. I'll buy that t-shirt. And then the second, <laughs> fill up your cup before you get up. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I'm definitely going to do that one. Nice that job on both one. of those, uh, those uh, biteable sound moments. Anything else you'd like to share with, you know, anyone who's trying to find their own inspiration, whether it's a challenge or they're looking to inspire others through this type of activity? I would definitely just encourage everybody and anybody to really just get quiet and listen to the voice within and step out on it. No matter how crazy it is, step out on there and watch how people just show up and want to support you and help you. There's a lot of love out here. and There's a lot of people wanting to help others. And ultimately, I really want to get to a place where we no longer label one another. It's see me and see human. So we can just see each other as humans and really love one another and really just dissolve dehumanizing one another. Excellent. Well, Tara, thank you again for joining us today and sharing your story. Very inspirational. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Definitely. you. Thanks, everyone, joining us with our conversation today with Tara. She is uh, doing some really interesting things. We'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. So if you're inspired, you can go support in any way possible and hope you have enjoyed the show as well. As always, please leave a great review wherever you listen to the show. I'm LaShawn. Thanks again. And remember, dream big, stay curious, and always share your true voice. See you next time. This is True Voice.